This morning, let's come to the scripture with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, as we listen to your word, guide our hearts and minds as we consider your word. Guide all of us that you would work through your word an understanding and a desire for your will and the, and the way to that will. Lord, we love you. As we come to your word, I simply pray you, you would work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in a, a season of uh, looking at passages that speak to vitality of, of church, but also of life. And they are, many of them are familiar passages. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Nehemiah, which was probably the least familiar we're going to look at. This morning, we're going to look at two, listen to two quick, small, short passages, which are more familiar to many of us who have been in, in following Christ for a while. But they are key to understanding who we are and our call as followers of Jesus. So the first is from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to the word of God. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then also from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, the, the first two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. These passages are a picture of discipleship, of what we do as Christians, as a church, as those who are seeking to fulfill the great command and the great commission, as I mentioned the last couple of weeks. It is a picture of being a follower of Jesus. The Romans passage ends with the purpose of all this action, of all that we do. It is so that we can discern the will of God. We can know what it is that God wants us to be and God, what God wants us to do. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See where he is and, and follow him wherever he leads. We are in the, the process of visioning, of vitalizing or revitalizing our church, of, of refocusing our ministry through a pastoral transition. And, and to some degree, all churches are, are doing this now as we come to the end of COVID. And I think it's important how we understand the purpose of this process. Now, some may think that it's the process of simply deciding, well, what do we want to do? And hey, everybody, what sounds fun? What do we want to do together? 
And honestly, this is the way most people, including myself, go about making decisions in most aspects of our daily lives, especially in this age. Now, other people may think about what we are supposed to be doing. We have all those voices, past and present, rolling around in our heads uh, that, that we are supposed to be this or to do that, or this is the way we've always done things. And churches easily become this. It's, easier, it's an easier and more certain way to live than what I'm gonna suggest. But it doesn't actually get us anywhere. Usually it just means trying to go back to something that doesn't exist anymore and frankly probably never did as it does in our minds or to a place that simply has no life in it. It's just another form of law that, that ultimately ends in death. In Christianity, we believe in a living God who is at work in our world, in our neighborhood, in our church, in our lives. And faith in this God is trusting that we can follow Him. And our goal always has to be to follow Jesus today, trusting that His ways are better than ours, better than mine. And we'll find life there, even life in the face of death. We seek to follow Jesus, to be where he is at, and to go where he is leading. Amen. How in the world do we do that? And I want to suggest a few things quickly, and, and, and then take a look at what is so unique about this whole thing, what it means to be transformed. As one writer put it, to follow God, we have forms and we have fire. Forms are the structure and the practices we use to, to discern God's will and to operate together. Fire is the fuel that burns inside us to follow the will of God. Mark Sayers is a, a, a pastor and a writer in Australia, and here's how he describes these two things. We are human temples. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is also now the temple. His way is the form. His presence and the Spirit is the fire. Healthy biblical renewal is like a bird with two wings, form and fire. We need his fire to come, his empowering presence to do what human strength cannot. We need his fire to come and to cleanse us and purify us, accelerate our ministry and mission. We need his fire to, to smash strongholds and to take spiritual ground for the kingdom. Yet we also need his form to shape us. We need holy patterns to remake us to Christ-likeness. Now, there are different structures as part of the form for following God, for discerning God's will. Church governments, church governments give form and structure for our life together in, in pursuing God, in, in following God. At the very beginning, 
of the church, people would rise through the ranks to leadership from their merit, from the merit of their clear call to discern God's leading. Jesus himself called his first disciples and taught them in person. And it was clear others in that New Testament time were were called by him as well, such as Paul and, and Timothy. But it didn't take long in the years after that for the church leadership to reflect the the political structures of governments at that time. Church leadership quickly became very hierarchical. And while some rose to leadership through the merit of the, the maturity of their faith, coming to leadership eventually also became about wealth or power or pedigree or political acumen. Mirroring the national governments at that time, which pri- were primarily monarchical, with popes or with uh, with Caesars or kings or queens and, and different levels of royalty, and that's how the church operated as well. Most denominations uh, remain in that structure, particularly if they have any form of bishops, Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Anglicans. Methodist, it's a, it's a top-down hierarchy. Uh, in the last couple of hundred years, some denominations and traditions have become what we would call true democracies. Every member of the congregation has the same vote on everything that goes on in the life of the congregation. And if the congregation, frankly, if they don't like their la- my last sermon, you, can, you guys could call for a meeting immediately following the service and throw me out. And in those denominations, you hear some of the stories like that. Congregationalists and, and Baptists represent that form, which is no small part of the American church. Finally, there are elder-led bodies, congregations recognizing those among them who are mature in discerning God's will and elevating them to leadership from within the body, electing them from among ourselves. And congregations as a whole stay connected to each other and accountable to a greater body in both regions and then whole nations. And ruling elders, this is the way we work, ruling elders are elevated from our congregation. Our body elects them. Teaching elders or pastors are elevated from among a regional presbytery. And each body, each church then, chooses their own pastors who have been recognized by the, by the regional leadership, the presbyteries. And then pastors and ruling elders come together to make up the session that, eat, that leads each local church. This is our structure as Presbyterians. And it is a form of a representative democracy. And frankly, the U.S. government, the leaders who put together the vision for our government, which was a very new vision at the time, uh, designed our national government after Presbyterian forms of government. It mirrors the same structure in many ways, except our, our, our national government is to reflect the will of the people, the will and the benefit of the people, but the church government still is to pursue the will of God and discern the will of God. The word Presbyterian is basically the Greek word for elder, 
the identity of our denomination comes from the form in which we operate, the structure in which we operate. We also, but that form is not just about identifying those leaders. It reaches further into the congregations and into the bodies. Sessions aren't meant to do all the work of a church, but to lead it and make final decisions. And so, we develop committees and commissions and teams to help in whatever it is that we need to focus on. Of course, sessions have the final say in decisions. We have developed a committee in our church, a team, it sounds much more friendly these days, to focus on what God would have us do in the coming years. And the real question is, and always is, what is God doing? And how are we called to come on board? That describes some of the systems of following God. And we have many practices in in following God as well. The practice of following God, these are sometimes personal, sometimes communal, sometimes both. Different ways of discerning God's will. Two quick things, a couple of them include prayer. Step one, the first element in any living relationship is having direct communication. We text, we Zoom, we call, we get together face-to-face, always with the element of speaking to and listening. Prayer is simply we talk with God, speaking our hearts and listening for His. We've been seeking to do this as a group, as a, as a church in this last season, both in 635 and whenever we can, focusing on, on pursuing God. We talked at contending prayer, calling for God to, to show us His will, show his, his vision for our church, asking directly for clarity of what God is doing and what He wants us to be doing in that. The second practice always for a Christian to be in is to be in Scripture. In order to to hear the voice of the Spirit, the voice of God, we need to be tuned in to that voice, especially in the light of the volume of so many voices surrounding us in this world and those voices that we hear internally as well. This happens, learning to discern that voice of God happens through internalizing His Word, listening to God's voice in the past so that we can recognize it in the present. And, and He's not going to go against any of His past directions. We need to be regularly in the Word. But there is that other part of following God. I've mentioned just a few of the forms, the forms the practices and structures of following God, but we have to also talk about the fire. We have dramatic images in these passages. Take up your cross. Be a living sacrifice. You can see the the fire in those two images, that which burns within us to fuel us to be selfless. Every one of my kids started to bring homework home from school virtually in kindergarten. None of them liked it. All the way through high school, 
I could say none of my kids really liked having homework, especially in those youngest years. I remember the, the conversation with each one as I would be trying to help them, but they fought against paying attention to the work. And, and I would tell them, me wanting them to do well doesn't get them to do well. They have to want it for themselves. And if they can't muster up some reason to want to do their homework, they never would. But as their ambition and their maturity grew, it became easier for them to get it done. At first, I would try to help them with giving them small rewards for the first grader, ice cream or a cookie if you finish your homework, a gold star, or sometimes they'd just start wanting to, to please a teacher that they liked. Eventually, curiosity, interest, ambition, and then even self-discipline grew. And they, they even learned to deal with subjects and teachers that they didn't like or have any interest in. Understanding that there's a greater purpose here, something more. Here's the fire. It's putting aside our own desires for what God wants, for what God is doing. It can be for what is right, for, for justice, it is especially to participate in what God is doing in and for his kingdom. Even if there's a cost to ourselves, like a, like a soldier standing bravely at their post, like, like Jesus bearing the cross, the, the fire is that which burns within us to make us decide that, that, we're, that what we are doing here in this world, it's not for ourselves. It is for a greater purpose than just ourself. It is for the kingdom. It's in true love for others that reflects Christ's love. And, and we have a unique opportunity to follow God wherever he takes us. This simply is what it means to have a transformed mind. We're not here to serve ourselves, but to serve God and follow him. And that turns out to be so much more fulfilling, so much better. One of the places he's going to take us is to love others the way he has loved us to reach out to the lost, to those who don't know him, his love and his salvation. We, we, we see God's concern for the lost in Luke 15, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And this is the story of each one of us. God has sought and found us wherever we are. God is seeking the lost. It's one of the most magnificent things he does and, and if we want to jump in with what he is doing, this is one of the first places that we'll be doing it. One of our primary calls and purposes of any church. Here's his strategy for seeking the lost. To the one that God used, the same strategy that God used to find us in the incarnation. To find the lost, you have to find out where they are and go there to get them. 
It's what he did. Here's how you do it. The issues, the cares, the concerns and passions people have is the place where they're at. It's the place where their hearts are at. And we can identify our own issues. We can identify our own concerns and our own passions, where we are at, and how we've seen God speak to us in those places, how he's found us there with his good news. And then we look at where is the overlap of the concerns and passions between those who don't know Christ around us and our own, our own places where we see Christ working in our lives, and then go to them with the message of the gospel right in those places. That's the place where we are equipped to share our faith. Now, this isn't what I'm describing here. It sounds so easy. It's not. I understand that. It's not an easy thing. Frankly, the statistics of our national church and our own presbytery of the numbers of baptisms of new believers is one of, it's one of the means of measuring our church's effectiveness in reaching those who don't know Christ around us. And it is a stunningly low number. It is much less than one baptism per church in the, over the last number of years. I, I know the heart of people in this church is to reach the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that. And we've seen people come to Christ and grow in Christ through and around the ministry of New Hope through the years, including some of you. But it's not easy, frankly, Honestly, it's impossible in our own power. It's not impossible for God. Because the fuel, the fire that burns within us is the presence of God working, working in us and and through us. He's the one that can show himself through us to other people's hearts. What makes it especially hard today is that it seems as if the concerns of the people in the church and the people in our, na- in, in our neighborhood and world are, are so far apart. On some issues, it seems like we're on opposite ends of things. Sometimes it seems that way with issues like human sexuality. But that was true in the New Testament church as well. And so they started to reach out in the New Testament church to bring good news where people's concerns and issues lied. There are stories of Christians being the ones to stay in towns when the plague hit, and, and everyone else left. The Christians would stay and help the sick and the dying because, honestly, the Christians just weren't scared of death. And Christians gained a reputation of selflessness. Paul went to Athens and started relating to others through their philosophers and their statuary. Christians had a reputation of engaging people in conversations about their interests and showing them ways to see everything with new eyes. We don't tell lost sheep where they should be. We have to go find them where they are. 
And that's part of the work we're going to do as the vision team. Find where people in the neighborhood are at and think about the ways we are equipped to help bring the good news of Jesus to those places. We started one way of doing that connecting work last week with our circles of influence. It was a little sheet with the six circles on it, six places where we live our lives and, and have relationships with others. And we had sheets last week in the, in the bulletin to help us map those relationships of our lives. And, and there are uh, more sheets out in the narthex. You can pick them up if you want to pick them up this week. Who is God putting on each one of our hearts to care for with the gospel, even, just, even if it's just lifting them up in prayer? We contend for them in prayer that they would see God's love for them. Saturday at the seminar and in the coming weeks, it's going to be an important time for us to share with each other what God is putting on each one of our hearts that the seminar on Saturday is not merely going to be gathering information. It's going to be us coming around tables and sharing our hearts with each other. And so that we put the picture together because when we talk about it with each other, we're going to begin to see patterns emerge. And, And the particular mission of our church starts to come into focus because it comes through all of us all of our passions and concerns, and where the fire within us is also combined with the structure and form of us together, then we can fly. Now, some churches and traditions are all about the form, about the structure, the ways we do things together. Presbyterians can have this reputation. We're known for the phrase that Paul challenges the disordered church in Corinth to learn. He says that we need to learn to operate in decency and in order. Uh, Presbyterians are all about that. We also have a reputation, though, as God's frozen chosen. We may have our theology and our structure in order, but we also need to have the fire. Other traditions are known for being all fire, and no order, no form, and they fly, without, they fly on one wing without any sense of control or direction. It's like a bird with one wing. Nothing really gets off the ground or goes very far. For us, the emphasis on prayer this past number of weeks has been to build the fire within us, the fire flaming within us for those in our community who need to hear the word of the Lord? Who is God putting in our hearts? And, and the seminar in the coming weeks will be about giving that fire some form to work with so that we can be a church flying in the direction that God is leading us, equipping us, and empowering us. And we'll have direction and God's presence, form and fire as we minister to the community of Kent and Renton in Seattle and around the world together, us together with the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to follow you. 
We want to be your people and to be with you. (laughs) Fired up by the presence and the sight of you. And then, Lord, putting that together with the, the form, the structure, the ways of doing things that reflect all together your glory that others may see. Lord, guide us in this work of discerning your will as a congregation, but Lord, guide each one of us too in how you are calling each one of us to follow you in our lives. Lord, keep us, keep us talking with you in prayer and, and always growing more mature in, in knowing the tune of your voice, the melody of your voice. But then, Lord, help us to do that as we continue in Scripture all our lives growing in the knowledge of your word, of your message, of your love. We love you, Lord. Guide us as we simply seek to follow Jesus. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.